nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello, and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 81. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoopTalk.com. Jesus. Joined, as per usual, by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Guys, how are we doing? We're doing good. I think this week, one of the great bards of the 21st century in American culture and what could say maybe world culture once said that the haters are going to hate, 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 but the players are going to play, 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 play. And I think this past week, above all, proved that to be true. All I gathered from this week was that the Milwaukee Bucks played three basketball games and they won three basketball games. And that was pretty sweet. And maybe, just maybe, this team isn't as bad as we keep thinking it is. <laughs> I like that takeaway. We all And we all predicted, and I was an idiot last week and, and put Brooklyn down as the third game when we were making our predictions, which was just dumb. Uh, it was Dallas that they faced. We all get we all guessed two and one, but the Bucks exceeded, I think, our expectations, went three and zero. Oh. Good week for them. Let's dive right into it. So the week started with a, a rematch against, uh, you know, our, our immortal foes, the Orlando Magic. Love facing them after uh, our playoff sweep of them last year. Bucks win pretty handily, 121 to 99. Giannis has 22, Middleton has 20. Big day for Bobby Portis and Bryn Forbes. That was kind of the theme of the week, uh, at least for the early start of the week for those two. Portis has 20 points. Bryn Forbes has 14 points. 53 bench points for the Bucks, just Bucks, just 24 for the Magic. And for the most part, Riley, they held Nikola Vucevic to an inefficient day. 28 points is a lot, but 25 shots is a lot. And obviously knowing what he did to them in the playoffs last year, that was going to be the big storyline coming in. Yeah, and like the the first quarter for him was pretty good, just because he he's like Brook Lopez prime. Like if you were like, what's Brook Lopez, but like more involved and does like more inside outside game, it would be Nikola Vucevic. So not surprising at all, given the way that the defense normally plays for Milwaukee, that he had a good game. But you're right that after that first quarter, he kind of cooled off. Um, I think. What do you want to point out in this game as the differentiating factor? The fact that they have to play Cole Anthony, who is a rookie, for 23 minutes because um, – well, I can't remember his name right now. This is my issue. Who's the rookie? Markel or not the Fultz. rookie? Markel Fultz. Thank you. I don't, it feels like he's still on his rookie year after all these years of injuries <laughs> in and out. So ever since Markel Fultz went down, um, they're a bit shorthanded between him and Jonathan Isaac. So it, it was just like – from the beginning, going to be tough for Orlando just because of the talent disparity. But after that first quarter, it, they didn't really have anything for Giannis, especially. Uh, Giannis goes 8 of 16 from the floor, good for 22 points. Chris also, um, it, you know, he eventually gets hot. He goes 9 of 17. He gets 20 points. I think the differentiating factor was they had a decent lead 
by the half. And then in the third quarter, it was kind of those two guys putting it over the top. And then they could just kind of sit Drew and the starters for the rest of the game. So, you know, is there like something that you could look at this and be like, oh, there was this fold, some sort of, you know, really great game-breaking thing that Budenholzer or the team is doing? Not really. I think it was just more so they survived the early Vucevic and then everybody else for the Magic kind of failed to step up. So, you know, it's not the most enlightening analysis, but it was a game against the shorthanded Orlando Magic. So what else do you expect? The weird thing with Milwaukee was they were never going to lose that game after that first quarter. It was just odd because every time they seemed to have pulled away, and I guess this is the same thing in the Pistons game, the Magic were able to chip back into it, get a couple threes, get a couple baskets, and it was whatever. And it wasn't until, ironically, Giannis leaves the court in which Milwaukee goes on its massive run. Giannis picks up his fifth foul with like 10 minutes left. Aaron Gordon dunks on him. Giannis hits a three. And then promptly after that, Milwaukee ended up rattling off like 20-something points of their run. It was very classic Milwaukee, but it was with Chris Middleton. It was with Drew Holiday. It was with Brooke Lopez. You know, Giannis and Bobby Portis were the two that left, and that's when Milwaukee really went on that run. And I think that was kind of the theme of this, like I said, this week and the season where Chris has taken that next step up in which he is the one that's going to kill your team. He's the one that's hitting the timely threes. Drew Holiday's defense was vital throughout that whole run. It was just Milwaukee was always going to be okay, but it seemed as though like that last run really catapulted them to the victory. And yeah, the bench really stepped up. I mean, Pat Connaughton who has shot the ball really well and continues to do so. So good for him. Uh, Bryn Forbes after that first couple games, he seems to be finding his shooting rhythm. He shot the ball really well. Bobby Portis, as we mentioned, I would say has been great, a great signing. Hopefully he stays, but at this rate, he's probably going to get a good contract somewhere else. It was just a very good performance from Milwaukee's bench. They did what they needed to do, and the starters were good enough that, I mean, they're a better team than the Magic, especially a Magic that doesn't have Marco Fultz, but you still have to win those games, and I think that's the same thing for Detroit. You have these games, you still have to win them. So despite how bad the other team might be, you still got to play the games, and you can't have a repeat of what happened against the Knicks. Kyle, I, I see that you talked through a lot of the guys on the bench. There was one guy who recorded 10-plus minutes of play that you did not mention having a good game. It, what were your thoughts on Thanasis uh, against the Magic? I don't know why he is still we, – we talked about this last week. Why is he still playing? I don't know. It was – and we'll talk about it in the Mavericks game, but Torrey Craig's healthy now. DJ Wilson exists. Jordan Wara is there. Can we please give the play time to – Maybe they're bot like end of the bench NBA players, but they are le- at least they're NBA players. We we gotta stop with this. I thought it was the second quarter, which I think we can officially so the, so I think there's gonna be a theme through a lot of these games. The second quarter, the reason why everybody hates the second quarter is that's because that's the Gnosis's quarter. He gets usually like six, seven minutes of play in that quarter for whatever reason. And in this one against the Magic, it was beautiful because I thought Bobby Portis was actually going to fight him, especially closing, going into the half. I think there was like two seconds left, three seconds left. And I don't know why they keep going to Thanasis as the guy they're going to try and get the last second shot to. But Bobby Portis rolls the ball to try and get a like a running Thanasis. And Thanasis totally whiffs it. It goes out of bounds and Orlando gets another shot uh, over on the other end. They don't. They can just inbound it. I don't think they, I don't know if they score, but it was just, it was beauty in motion. And that's what Bucks basketball is all about.
I'm just not gonna. I'm just not gonna be able to <clears throat> comprehend it. I don't know what's going on with with Bud wanting to do that. It makes no sense to me. I really hate every time I see him be like the seventh man, like the almost the first man off the bench is Thanasis Antetokounmpo. Come on, <laughs> like what is going on here? Especially when, especially when, you know, we we all love to rip on Pat Connaughton, but like. The du- the du- him and Forbes are pretty serviceable. Like Forbes will play a little smaller. Connaughton, like obviously, is a little bit smaller than Thanasis, but is still pretty athletic and could probably be a decent facsimile of him. And also, like brings just brings so much. Whatever. I don't know. I don't want to talk. We can talk about Thanasis more than the average game. Anyway, yeah, the Orlando game. You know, I'm glad we bring up Chris. I think we at some point probably need to do like a longer segment on Chris this year. He's just been so good. I don't think there's, there's been very few games where it feels like he hasn't had an impact, even games where he might score around 14 points or something. It's kind of like, well, he still, you know, gets his usual, maybe seven, six or seven assists and eight rebounds. And really the only reason he isn't scoring that much in those games is because he takes like 14 shots and hits like seven to eight of them. Like he has been fantastic all year willing to shoot the three, doing all of his usual mid-range stuff. It's just his his scoring prowess, Kyle, feels like all of the kind of all of the kind of ways that we we need someone to be able to get buckets in the playoffs. Like it seems like he's he's answering all those questions these last two seasons. Yeah, it seems as though he's taken that next step in his offensive capacity. And I think that's really the part that really is impressive for all of it is how he's been able to get more of the shots that he would favor. You know, before he would get the post up and kind of have the fadeaway that was always there. He seems to be more confident shooting off the dribble. It it seems as though a lot of these shots that he is making now have been added to not just be a catch-and-shoot guy, to not just be someone that you can give it to the post. Like, he can take it off the dribble. He can get to the rim now, which I think we haven't really seen. And it's... He's always been, I think the biggest difference is the timely shots. He's always been, I would say, Milwaukee's go-to player if they need to get a game-winning shot or a three to tie it. But he really has been doing it more in the last few minutes instead of the final shot. Like, he is the guy that's going to initiate the offense. He is the guy that's going to take that last shot. We saw in the Mavericks game, he comes in and just hits two daggers back-to-back. And that's something that he... I mean, we all knew he can do it, and now he's justifiably doing it. And I, I said on Friday after the Mavericks game that he should be on an all-NBA team if he's continuing the play that he is. And I think the biggest statement for him is he can have a struggle shooting the ball early in the game, but it gets to the fourth quarter, and he seems to get his shooting back in, and he seems to find that rhythm. So I've been very happy with Chris. I he should, Like I said, he should be an all-NBA player at the end of the season, at the rate that he's going. And it's just good to see him be able to take that step up just because, again, we weren't sure what to expect. We knew he was going to be a good player. But with the addition of Drew, with the change, some changes on the offense, maybe Giannis is we, – we didn't know what Giannis was going to provide, but Chris has definitely stepped up and been that guy when Milwaukee needs a basket. I think what Chris – Above all, what he's done most this season is identify that against almost every sort of player they throw at him, no matter what the defender, he can utilize some sort of mismatch on them. So if it's a bigger guy, he's been very speedy, very good off the dribble to try and get past them to drive to the paint. That's, you know, it's not that he was 
reticent in the past to go into the paint, but I think he's been a lot more like diving at the basket and either taking the shot himself or finding somebody else who's in motion towards the basket. Or if it's a smaller guy or they're out on, you know, on the perimeter, he's been very quick to either break them again off the dribble, back them down, do a fadeaway. So I think the thing that it's the speed, his athleticism has been really, he came into the season, it appears like really in shape, really ready to go. And then two, I don't know if it's Boonholzer or by design or just him acknowledging the fact that against almost any sort of defender, he has some sort of tool that he could use to score in that situation or at least make a dangerous play happen. And I think that's above all, especially right now where we're trying to figure out who everybody's role is and how you're going to distribute things, Um, whether it be a close game or kind of the the offense gets a little stagnant. You can, for the most part this season, you can rely on Chris to bail you out, which has been awesome to see. Yeah, he's doing a really good job of getting stuff both in the flow of the offense and when he needs to take advantage of those mismatches. Uh, next, let's move on to the next game. Bucks played the Pistons again. I think that's the last time they're on the schedule for the first half of the season, hopefully. But um, three times in two weeks is a lot. Bucks won 110 to 101. Um, Giannis had a triple double, his second of the season 22 points, 10 assists, 10 rebounds. Drew had a really nice all around game 21 points, 5 assists, 6 rebounds. 13 points for Portis, 11 for Forbes. Not a lot for, for me to take away from this one. Kyle, beyond the Bucks, played another game against the Pistons and took care of business. Yeah, I would love to stop playing the Detroit Pistons from now on. <laughs> it's three times in two weeks is way too much for any sensible basketball fan, let alone for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, I don't even, like, that's how insignificant this game was. It was just another Milwaukee was better than Detroit. Milwaukee hit their shots. Milwaukee... The score does not indicate how close the game actually was. Um, yeah, I'm honestly trying to think if there was anything noteworthy, and I can't because it's the Pistons, and Milwaukee just likes beating the Pistons now. So that's all I got. I wish I had something better to add to. What do you have, Riley? Uh, not a whole bunch. So I think uh, credit to Brooke Lopez. Hit the threes, all three threes early in the first quarter, which I think is good to see. Um, weird for him. He had, I think 11 rebounds. I was like trying to look to see how many times he's gotten double digits rebounds, like between this season and last, I think it's like four times total. So even though he's seven feet tall, that's not his game. So I thought that was interesting. Obviously it's not something that's going to last. Um, the main difference in this game versus previous games, the last two against Detroit last or two weeks ago was really the fact that Steve Novak is a nice enough guy to not harp on the fact that Blake Griffin can't move at all. Um, and he was just, he was more so busy talking about his, his dancing, uh, Steve Novak's dancing, I should say. Um, and it, when you get to a point in a game where the color commentator and the play-by-play guy are stuck for five to 10 minutes talking about some clip of them, you know, awkward dancing, that's indicative of how dominant you were. And so the Bucks really <laughs> get out to it. Anytime Brooke Lopez hits threes, you're going to get out to a good start. And from there, if we saw it in the first two games, we saw it in this game, Blake Griffin, if he's going to get minutes, he does not have enough to defend Giannis, and he's going to be the guy normally who defends Giannis. Um, and then on the other end, he's he's just not mobile enough to really ex- – I think he had like six assists, six, seven assists, which was pretty decent for him. But for the most part, it's like the Jeremy Grant show and then a bunch of rookies. So it, it, Detroit's in a really tough spot. They're going to be like – they have enough veteran guys to make it annoying to play them. But obviously with like the worst 
record in the league. Uh, you know, that shows in watching the game. So not enough. Uh, and, and Kyle's right that it was like the final five minutes of just BS with like the rookies or whatever is when Detroit got back a couple of points. Though actually, you know, I should take that back. One thing we should note, the starters played all the way, almost all the way to the end of the game. Um, and Boonholzer after the game said that that was by design. They wanted to get these guys more conditioning minutes. Um, and I think that's good. That's what we were kind of looking for. So I, I think that's actually somewhat notable. I totally forgot about that until we started discussing. So I don't know any takeaways. Is it just good that the starters are playing, I guess, is the main takeaway from that? I guess. We saw him play, you know, thirty. we have 37 minutes here for Drew, 33 for Giannis. Um, and when you're looking at raw number totals in the Mavericks game, Bud was willing to play, you know, Chris Milton 37 minutes, Drew 35. Giannis probably would have played more in that game if it weren't for um, some foul trouble for him. So I think it's nice, Kyle, to at least see Bud willing to acquiesce on that point and, and let the starters push themselves a little bit more, especially during this this weird shortened season. Yeah, it's kind of weird that they would do it in a shortened season where games are coming thick and fast. Games are, it seems like there's a game every other day for them. So the fact that they have get gotten all these minutes, it's a good thing down the road because at least they'll be conditioned. Obviously, I am one of the opinion of, you know, if the risk, it's not worth the risk. If you're winning by 20 points, there's no point in keeping the starters out there. But at the same time, you want to get these guys minutes. You want to get them to, you know, be able so that come playoff time, they're, when the minutes should uh, increase, they can do that. So it's good to see. I mean, Bud has made adjustments this season. I, It's not as evident sometimes as switching, but he has made adjustments and he has at the very least seemed to look at what went wrong in the bubble and is somewhat trying to fix that. So good on him. Yeah, well, we will we will gleefully move on from the Pistons and hopefully won't have to discuss them for some time. But uh, we, we'll talk about the last game here from this past week, which actually has, I, I would say, a, a good number of storylines to break down. So the Bucks beat the Dallas Mavericks in a close one on uh, a primetime game on Friday night, 112 to 109. Giannis has 31 points and nine rebounds, struggles with foul trouble throughout the night. The Of course, the big storyline you're probably going to see on weird national you know national shows or whatever is one of 10 from the free throw line for Giannis just a god awful day for him Chris has 25 points eight rebounds six assists hit some huge threes late to really salt this one away Luca goes for 28 points 13 rebounds nine assists Porzingis 15 points but on just six of 19 shooting stats were remarkably similar across the board Uh, what stood out to you first and foremost in this game Riley hmm so we were talking before we started recording that if you had not watched the game live and if you were just kind of like following through Twitter, you would think this this was like an abomination against God and our eyes of a game. And having rewatched it before um, we recorded this morning, it's actually like fun. It was competitive. Uh, you know, Dallas, they were shorthanded insofar as a lot of their bench was up, but they had a lot of their top end guys Um the, the thing that jumped out to me most was not necessarily Giannis's free throw shooting, which we'll talk about, but more so there's so much talk about his inability to be a closer. And it's not that he put that to rest against Dallas, but what I think people lose sight of is, yes, maybe he's not the most adept guy when it comes to 
like a, you need a possession, you need him to break somebody off the dribble or something. But that's just so much not his game that it's like beyond my my realm of possibility of what I consider him doing out there. But importantly, he still went six and nine from the floor in the fourth quarter. And even after he had missed all those free throws, I was watching the Dallas broadcast and they were like, oh, you could tell that he's, you know, he might be afraid to go for contact. But even after that, with like four minutes remaining, he was still driving on Willie Cauley-Stein every time down. And even though the shots didn't go, it's not like he lost his aggression simply because he was shooting poorly from the free throw line. I think there was a timeout with about three minutes left to go, and the Bucks d- decided instead to go to Chris for the final couple of possessions, and it paid off because Chris hit a couple of threes. But between Giannis scoring 13 on his own and Chris scoring eight, I think they were like the only contributors the entire quarter. I think maybe Bobby Portis had a three. I think somebody else had a three. But otherwise, it was those two guys. And so we can consider this team <sighs> – I wouldn't say they're good closing because this is the first like really tight game against good competition, but we we have to move our horizons beyond Giannis isn't a closer because he's not the guy taking the last shot. That's okay that he doesn't have to have to take the last shot because we have Chris out there to do that. We have Drew ostensibly to also help out with that. And in the other nine to 10 minutes of the fourth quarter, Giannis can still make his impact felt you know, trying to dive bomb the rim, trying to find passes. He made a couple of threes. And so I, I just, there was such a juxtaposition between the discourse after the game where it was like Giannis is in a closer versus what you saw where he, for much of the fourth quarter, was the offensive power that helped keep the Bucks ahead of Dallas, keep it close. And then Chris comes in and closes it. So that was the biggest thing of, it was sloppy sort of through like the second and third quarter, which weren't all the, again, the Nasus minutes and things like that. But that fourth quarter was impressive in different ways than what you would expect, I think. I think it's okay for Bucks fans to admit that sometimes you just got to find ways to win. It was not the most exciting game. It was not, at times it was not entertaining. It was a bit of a slog, and that's going to happen against a team like the Dallas Mavericks, who I want to say they're defensively this really good team, but they are annoying and especially when Giannis is in foul trouble. Sometimes the offense is going to stagnate. Milwaukee did not play its best, but that's okay because what the Milwaukee Bucks need to learn is how to win in ways other than hitting uh, 20-something threes or playing bad teams. They have to learn how to find ways to win even when they're not at the best. Even if Dallas was shorthanded, it doesn't matter because you got to win. And those are the type of games that Milwaukee could not win in the bubble against Miami and they couldn't find a way to do it against Toronto when it got close and it got tough. I cannot think of the last two postseasons where the Bucks played a team and it was a close game that they pulled out and won. Maybe that game four against the Heat is the only thing I can think of, but otherwise it's not a consistent theme. So yeah, you got to take it. And Giannis efficiently scored a lot of points, which was really, really good. But Giannis also made some really dumb turnovers. Giannis also had a really stupid foul on Luka early in the, I think it was the third quarter, where he just reached in, which was, it was a dumb foul. Defensively, Giannis wasn't at his best. And that's kind of a thing that, you know, Milwaukee definitely tried its best to self-sabotage itself early in that game against Dallas, but they figured it out. They got the win. And... I don't know why people are saying that Giannis can't be a number one. I don't know why 
we are making it seem like this team isn't that good. It's just, it was not Milwaukee's day, but they figured it out. And I think that's kind of the bigger thing for me. And watching that game live, I kind of felt like maybe they won't be able to hold on. Maybe Dallas is going to find a way to exploit this defensive scheme. But again, Blutenholzer made the adjustments that he needed to. And I think that's a really good thing. So it was, it wasn't the most entertaining game, but that's okay. Because Milwaukee got the baskets that they needed. Milwaukee's defense showed up when it needed to. And overall, if you just looked at the box score, I would say it was Milwaukee played better than how they looked on paper. Like watching it and seeing the box score were two different things. It's like you see the box score, and it's like, wow, they played really well. And then you watch it in person, and like this was a slog for a good chunk of the game, other than the second quarter, in which nothing encapsulates the Milwaukee Bucks more than Thanasis. Making a boneheaded turnover and defensive laps, but then getting five points within like 10 seconds. One of them being a step back three. It was a weird game, but they won. And they need to find ways to win in that style. God, the step back three. What the heck is going on, man? It was, I mean, that was, I just saw that. I was like, he's really going to take a step back three. Like it was open. So good on him. But like, what? <laughs> I mean, to, Bud, to Bud's, I guess, credit, he does only, Thanasis only plays four minutes in this game. We had something probably closer to what might be like a potential playoff rotation or whatever, swap in a few more Giannis minutes. But, you you know, four minutes for Thanasis, and then you get 17 for Portis, 21 from Augustine, 21 from Connaughton, 14 from Forbes. This game was, um, I, I really like your point, Riley, about Giannis, you know, expanding our horizons of, of what a closer is that that has happened so many times where Giannis is, is getting buckets like throughout the fourth quarter, but it's just like mm-hmm. not the last shot. And then he, he winds up with like, you know, 14 or whatever. Giannis, he's scared of the moment, man. You can tell he's just afraid of the moment. <laughs> Honestly, I'm afraid of Giannis wanting to. <laughs> yeah. like, I don't need him to do that. He does lots of other stuff. And, and Chris is right there. Let him take the last shot. Yes, yeah. that's more than people. I think I think every Bucks fan would think that. It's just like how, you know, if anyone was like, you know, Giannis wants to be at the line to make those last two free throws against, who was it, Boston or whatever. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, no one wants him there. No, none of us would like him there. Any other Giannis doesn't, if deep down inside, I'm sure Giannis doesn't want to be there either. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm good. I'd rather, I'm okay with Chris taking the, the three. That's fine. I mean, I think the, the biggest thing I can say about this game and, Sure, the maps were missing most of their bench, which obviously throws off a little bit of what you want to do. Clearly, I would say the the part that hurt them most was probably missing like Powell and Kleber, who are a little bit, you know, Kleber can sort of pick and pop and pop and Powell is athletic enough to stick with Giannis. Instead, Giannis just sort of treated, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein like a dude in a, you know, just a dude sitting in a chair and, you know, throughout the night destroyed him, 31 points. You could see it. He, he wasn't really, Giannis wasn't looking to distribute as much. Just got one assist, 14 of 21 from the floor. But the, I think the biggest credit to this game was Bud was willing to switch up the pick and roll coverage at least a little bit. You could clearly see them switching the Chris Stapps, Porzingis pick and roll, which was, which was good. Led to some miscommunications. There was some stuff between Dante and Drew. Um, regarding switches with Luca, especially I think it was the first quarter where Luca they clearly screwed something up, and Dante at times is trying to be like Neo in the Matrix and like be everywhere on the floor out there. It's getting a little. I think I talked about this with Thanasis, but it's like getting little Jason Kitty with Dante sometimes. Um, but the biggest credit for me, Riley, is that we saw them play the Mavericks in the preseason, and the Mavericks 
carved them up. Like their offense destroyed them. It, it, it was like this offense has solved our defense and the games did not feel or look at all that way this time. It felt like the Bucks had the Mavericks offense significantly more under control than in even I, then I would say than in any game we've seen Bud fate, under the Bud regime face the Mavericks. I would agree. And, and I don't know, I think a lot of it, I mean, Luka Doncic had like, so he had, he also had a triple double. He had 10 rebounds, 13 assists, 28 points. But, you know, there was, I think a little bit more recognition of how to play him in a lot of ways. So there was a lot of shadowing uh, Luka Doncic minutes where if Luka went out, then Drew usually would go out. Luka came back in, there'd be like a minute or two and then Drew would come back in and he would be the lead guy. Um, I, I just think between experimentation and playing a lot smarter and understanding everybody's roles helps out because you're not trying to everybody recover at the same time while you're learning on the fly. Whereas in this case, they're able to recognize, you know, if there's a mismatch who's favorable for them, or if a guy is taking a shot attempt that they're happy to, like Luca went one to seven from three because he's a horrendous three point shooter. Like, okay, we'll just, we'll let him take the threes. That's fine. Um, and, and you're right that in the first quarter, there was that really obvious uh, miscommunication where nobody even like attempted to stop Luca at all going to the basket. But outside of that, you know, there were very few possessions where it was like, that's a very obviously blown mismatch. Now there was a couple of times where it was like, I don't know if Pat Connaughton's by design supposed to be posting or like trying to defend Porzingis on a post up. But outside of those sorts of things, I thought pretty much everybody played exactly how you would hope to schematically. And then also on the fly with pick and roll coverage, doing a, a tiny bit of switching, things like that. So I, I think it's a testament to preseason. We have no idea what the hell we're doing because half the roster's new and Drew's the new main guy. And now there's a little bit more of, you know, comfort with where everybody's supposed to be. Um, and like you said, I, I'm too basketball dumb to really recognize, be like, oh, they did this change or, oh, they're doing lace lights on or whatever. But um, if others are telling me that that is happening and we're still able to hold Dallas for the most part, especially late in the game, um, there were a couple of threes from Dallas that didn't go. But for the most part, they did a really good job of like, like Luka Doncic just walked into like a Brook Lopez block with a minute left. Everybody was dead silent about that after the game. But um you know, when it mattered most, the defense, I, I think Kyle said it initially, the defense stood up what it needed to. And that's the biggest contrast between the preseason, like you said, in this game. Dallas Mavericks, man. And once again, like, the, you know, Rick Carlos, Carlisle is one of those coaches on the Quinn Snyder level where, like, he he may not do something every single night, but he clearly has designs and, and knows how to get the easy buckets We've seen it in the past. I I think they said in the broadcast the Mavericks have beat the Bucks eleven out of the last fourteen times um, coming into Friday night, which is pretty sizable and that kind of matches up. It does feel like we always struggle against the Mavericks. So this was, I mean, like you said, Kyle, this wasn't like a great win, but it's one of those that it's you got the win, you should be thankful for that, and you got it in in a pretty decent way by standing up against a, a, a solid team down the stretch. Yeah, it, good on them. Good on them. Uh, any concerns from anybody about the fact that Tory Craig is still the last man on the bench? He's the garbage man. Any concerns? I, I know he broke his nose, and this is was Dallas. Was that the first game that he was technically available to play? Was that the deal? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not sure what to make of that. Still, so. Um, <sighs> 
it's just weird because of the Thanasis minutes, I guess. And so for me, it's also difficult because I didn't watch a lot of Denver basketball. I like vaguely know from the few minutes that Tory Craig played, like his like height and stature and everything, but I have no idea what he looks like within like actual game minutes. So I have a tough time even envisioning like, okay, here are the minutes he could get, or here's the guy he could guard because I just haven't seen him enough. But it, it is strange that he's still, maybe they're just really taking their time getting him back into motion. But I think that's a little strange that he's still not playing at all. Yeah. I, I'll give Bud the benefit of the doubt tonight because at least if he wasn't playing Craig, it wasn't like he was playing Thanasis, you know, 14 minutes as well. Thanasis only had that stint in the second quarter. I I hope that Craig can get some legit playing time and maybe he just needs to be eased back into it a little bit more. And I'm sure in a game where you're going to need to be very defensively sound against Brooklyn on Monday, maybe this is the game that we'll see more of Torrey Craig. But I, I'm not worried yet just because he just got back. But I definitely, if in, say, a month, Thanasis is still getting those three, four, five minutes while Torrey Craig is sitting on the bench, then there's going to be a big problem. Is there any concern about the fact that um, maybe he might not be that good? So, you know, if he wanted to play for a contender, he was already with Denver, but either he had issues like Mike Malone or something and decided to take a minimum deal with us. Like, I guess I'm just, I'm confused as to what kind of player he is if he ended up with us on a minimum like ring chaser, but he could have like done the same thing in Denver without leaving. Cause I don't, he's a, Strange guy. I don't know what to make of him yet. Well, we knew he wasn't good offensively. Like, we knew that was the case. So it's not like this was a guy that we expected to offensively be this, you know, juggernaut kind of like a Brent Forbes. But the fact that he – we his calling card is defense. And that's why I'm saying hopefully we see him tomorrow. But it, it I guess I don't know – I wouldn't say he's a bad player, but I think we know what his limitations are but I don't think those limitations should keep him off the court or at least not getting played time ahead of the Nasus. It's I wonder if Bud thinks of him as like a, as a little big, like he wants, like he, he's like too big for, to swap in there in like the Thanasis minutes. Like he thinks Thanasis is a little smaller, can guard some smaller people. I don't really, I'm not really sure. I think it's also a, a case where like it was a minimum deal. The guy's known as a pretty good defensive player but we're, it's pretty easy to like fetishize those guys like when we haven't seen them yet and be like, wow, this guy, this guy, we know he can come in and play defense and probably lock someone down. And it's like this- I, <laughs> when, the, when the cat's out of the bag, he might just be like, oh, okay, he's, he's like a 31-year-old dude who can't hit threes and can sometimes lock down a guy. Again, I'm brought back to the very early Thanasis when we're like, this is the guy, he's he's the Paul George guy. Like when it matters most, he's going to be that guy that get Paul George. And so I think that's probably, we get, we've done similar things with Torrey Craig, but only because Torrey Craig actually played NBA basketball. We're like, okay, so now it's like the Thanasis thing, but real. I think that's the, that's the main difference there. Yeah, yeah. that's fair Any, enough. What one more one more thing on this game before we move on? Any concerns about the free throw shooting? It's uh, reaching a nadir of sorts with Giannis. Uh, I think it's just kind of I don't know what the hell we're paying Josh Oppenheimer for. That was our big free agent acquisition this off season, and he clearly has done jack all for us. It's got to be a mental roadblock at this point. He no matter how many times you change his like mechanics, no matter how many times he practices. 
it's got to be mental. And I don't know if him dribbling it eight times is the potential thing. I would say just dribble it once. Do do whatever you need to, Giannis, to make these damn free throws. Get out of your head. Throw it up underhanded. Shoot left-handed. I don't know. Just do anything and just don't think about it. Just say, F it. It's probably not going in, so let me just shoot it. Yeah, I mean, we, th- people had this discussion on, on Twitter or whatever. I'm not really sure what's going on, given he made around 70% of his free throws for so long, and then all of a sudden it just dropped off a cliff. I I know it's important, and I know it's clearly like will matter in the playoffs, and a guy who gets the foul line this much, you have to be able to convert at a high level. But I kind of just can't stand any of the discourse around. Like, I don't want to follow if his elbow's in or if it's elbow's out. I don't want to follow how many dribbles he takes. I'm sick of the, I'm sick of all the eras we've gone through. Like the, oh, you know, did he cross the 10 second threshold for how long you have to dribble the ball? You know, does he look like a, you know, does chicken wing arm out, chicken wing arm in, the rotation? I just can't, I can't really do it anymore. I'm kind of, I'm, I, I love Giannis. He's great. But I, I, I think along with also with his offensive game, it's come, I'm reaching a similar point with the threes where I'm like, I don't know if he's going to advance much further beyond this level of play, which is an MVP level of play. And I'm kind of just going to accept the limitations that he has. And I don't know what's going on with the free throws, but clearly this is probably a low of loads for him. And I, I mean, I, I I don't think he could shoot much worse than this, but I, I, I'm not going to like go crazy over it just because I'm going to lose my mind if I have to do this game in and game out. Yeah, I, I like the discourse about Drake in game three in the Eastern Conference Finals being the the one who stole like Monstars style, stole his free throw <laughs> shooting or whatever. Uh, and I also like Kyle's idea of doing granny style between the legs uh, underhanded. I think that would be awesome as well. So hopefully at some point we do get those because that would be a great fold to the season. Like I said, figure do whatever it takes. Don't even think about it. Just assume it's not going in and hope for the best. Ooh. All right. Well, talking about um, talking about the Eastern Conference, there was clearly a large move made in the NBA. Uh, the the big news this past week was the James Harden trade. Obviously, Brooklyn kind of like the players are traded, just James Harden being a large human. Well, also that yes, James Harden is a large human. That's a great point. Um, James, the Brooklyn Nets seem to swoop in and uh, beneath right right past the. Oh, poor, poor Philadelphia 76ers who who could not quite get James Harden. But Brooklyn Nets made a huge trade this last week. They get James Harden as part of that transaction. Um, the Cavaliers get Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Uh, and then in terms of other Eastern Conference ramifications, the Pacers got Karis LeVert in a separate transaction where they sort of sent Victor Oladipo to the Rockets and got Karis LeVert in return. Um, there was terrible news about an MRI finding a, a mass on, on Karis LeVert's kidney. I really, really hope he's okay. Um, but in terms of, in, in a basketball sense, big news obviously is that the Nets mortgaged their future with basically four picks, four pick swaps to the Rockets for James Harden. What, how do you feel about the James Harden news, Kyle, especially in terms of thinking about the tiers of the Eastern Conference and, and where the Bucks stand, you know, stack up? Weirdly enough, I have felt indifferent about James Harden going to the Nets because if I had to choose between the Nets and Philly, I'd rather him go to the Nets because I think Philly would have found a better way to utilize him than the Nets. I mean, if 
the Nets right now are just Katie, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving at this point with Spencer Dinwiddie and Joe Harris tagging along. I don't know how the Nets are going to guard Milwaukee. At least with Milwaukee, you can put Drew Holiday on – what's his face? You can put Drew Holiday on Harden. You could put Chris and Giannis rotate on KD. And then for Kyrie, if he ever shows up, you can just throw Dante on there. So, like, defensively, the Bucks can – things to make it work while for the Nets I don't know what they're going to do to slow down Milwaukee so I guess it doesn't make too much of a difference for me in terms of how it's going to affect the Bucks. now the rest of the Eastern Conference it'll be interesting just because now you have the Bucks, you have the Nets you have Boston as your more or less top three you have Miami kind of hanging around you have Philly that's there they're going to be a playoff team but after that I still like Milwaukee's chances. It just might be a little bit tougher, but again, it it doesn't make a difference to me. Good on the Nets, I guess, because if you want to take that on and if this thing implodes, it's going to implode. It's just a matter of can they get a title first before it all implodes, and I will be waiting for that to happen. Um, so I love – and Kyle – is he right there he articulated it so well the discourse of like i'm on the opposite side of like the i think the bucks match up well against the nets defensively Uh, i'm not ready to just say i can throw dante on kyrie irving and be like it's (laughs) it's gonna be fine i'm not there yet personally um i think also like uh Giannis is not necessarily like a great one-on-one defender. So I'd be a little worried about him against like KD, for example, and like just hacking KD and like <laughs> racking out the fouls and then turning it over. Um, I, I think at the end of the day, yes, there's a chance that they implode. That's a lot of egos. And Steve Nash is still a rookie head coach. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, didn't he tear his ACL or something? He tore something in his knee. He's out for the season. So like, you know, they don't have him. It's like DeAndre Jordan is the other starter. Um, But at the end of the day, the arc of history in the NBA tends to bend towards those with superstars. And we can discuss the merits of the strengths and weaknesses and like the the pecking order of like guys like Kyrie Harden and KD. But objectively speaking, they're all three really, really good players. Now, whether or not they'll be able to do things defensively, we'll have to see. Um, But they have obviously, I think, more top line talent than the Bucks, I would say, like, yes, especially trying to figure things. Okay, thank, <laughs> thank you. In the Eastern Conference, yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's the thing that makes me a little bit worried. Now, it, it, what I think this really drives home is it's going to be critical for the Bucks to win the buyout season, especially for big men, because uh, that's going to be something that both teams are really looking for. Now, we're going to have a little bit tougher of a time because we're not going to be able to necessarily offer a starting spot. It doesn't seem like the Nets are going to be able to either if DeAndre Jordan is going to continue to start for whatever reason. But it's going to be critical that if we're targeting similar guys as big men for each of our rotations, the Bucks have to win that. Um, it, it's not the end all be all, but that's the big target. That's going to be one of the big differentiators is if there's a free agent out there, either getting them ourselves or hoping that they don't go to the nets, I think is the big deal right now. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. The bucks are practicing switching pick and rolls because my God, they would app the nets. I can just imagine a, a KD Harden pick and roll, a KD Kyrie pick and roll. Oh, 
you know, if, if somehow Steve Nash convinces James Harden to set a pick, like he's a, he's a large, large man, as Kyle was saying earlier, that with Kyrie uh, could be, could be pretty brutal. Um, I'm really, I think it's great that we get a first test against them on Monday against the Bucks. That's going to be a a really fun matchup. Um, I don't know. I think, I think it's just going to take so much time for, to understand what the nets are going to be with those three players. Clearly the offensive talent is there. I, I would, we'll see how they stack up defensively, whether, you know, what, if Harden decides to play harder, if he decides to play differently, he's been in, so, so he's been in one situation for so long that it's going to be really strange to see him transplanted somewhere else with, with a couple other people who really need the ball too. in terms of the Eastern conference itself. Uh, I'm just looking at the, the standings as of now. So Boston's, uh, on top in terms of win percentage at eight and three, and then the Pacers, uh, where Bucks are next at nine and four, Pacers are eight and four, Phillies nine and five, and then Brooklyn is eight and six, and then it's kind of a bunch of random teams. No offense to Orlando, Cleveland, and Charlotte, um, but I don't know. I think the I think that kind of seems like the tops with Miami potentially sneaking in there. I'm not sure if Toronto will get back to the top of the Eastern Conference, but. Um, you know, I the Pacers obviously made a in terms of teams that are in the Bucks division, a couple of actually interesting moves. I mean, the Cavaliers get Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Jared Allen is is it's good. I wouldn't mind watching him instead of Andre Drummond on the Cavaliers. That'll be kind of fun. And then, I mean, I would say that the Pacers' news is pretty big that they traded Oladipo for Karis LeVert. We'll, we'll see what happens with his health if he is able to resume playing or or anything like that, but. Um, Pacers are, are seeming like a, you know, a pretty surprisingly competent team this year. Who knows if it'll translate to the postseason, but they, they've been good so far, Kyle. They are. They're always going to be a playoff team. They're always going to make the playoffs. That's not something I will question. But they're also a team where they'll make the playoffs. They might take a game or two. But the last, they've gotten swept the last two postseasons as the four or five seed, right? I'm pretty sure they've gotten swept. And now they've traded arguably their best player. Maybe, okay, maybe not anymore because the bonus is really pretty good. Don't even give me that look. Don't even give me that look. <laughs> but like the Pacers are going to be a solid playoff team that will probably get somewhere from five to seven in terms of seeding. They might take a game which game or two off of whoever they play the first round but then lose the first round. That's just who the Pacers are. But I mean, that's kind of the position that they're kind of stuck in. You have Malcolm Brogdon and you have his contract. You get off of Victor Oladipo, so now you don't have to worry about trying to pay him because I'm sure he would have, if he had stayed, he would have gotten a large contract. You have Sabonis, you have Miles Turner, you have TJ Warren. Like, you have these guys that are good guys, but I just don't think they have enough top-end talent to ever really make you think, okay, this is a team to watch out for. It's just going to be, this is a team that's going to annoy you in the first round. I can't believe Kyle and I are going to have to do a point counterpoint about who Indiana's best player is on brewhoop.com. I think we need to give a shout out to Malcolm Brogdon for going to another team and actively stealing that team from the existing star there. He went and he beat out Victor Oladipo. It's his team now. Uh, and shout out to Malcolm Brogdon for that. Speaking of the rest of the Eastern Conference, I agree with most of Kyle's thoughts. I mean, they they look more dangerous now that um, I don't know who the new coach is, but it seems like they have a little bit more flexibility. They're playing a more modern offense. 
Do you guys know who their coach is? I don't even know off the top of my head. This embarrassing black. Nate Bjorken. Nate Bjorken. It's just, you know, that's an X and O's guy. So that's what he's known for. Uh, so I don't know about the Pacers. They look fine. For the rest of the East, I like for as good as Boston has been, I still don't really fear them at all for whatever reason. We always play like really competitive, but at the like my soul is always like we'll just beat the Celtics no matter what. Maybe I was from two years ago when we absolutely romped them after Game One. Uh, maybe that's that's showing through, but I don't know. I, I think the East it seems assuming Philly continues to play decently and Miami gets in the playoffs as well. It's going to be another interesting year with all the top teams. I'm not sure if I would ever say the Bucks are a lock, uh, especially the past two seasons, but um, I, I think it's definitely Brooklyn number one. And then we're us in Boston are a pretty close to spot. And then we'll just kind of see, you know, hopefully we'll get to the Eastern conference final, be able to play them. But I, I think it'll be an interesting tiering. I think it's Brooklyn, us, Boston, and then everybody else kind of the other playoff contenders at like the tier three. Is where I would put everybody. That seems sensible. Uh, any other thoughts on the on the Harden trade? Good on Houston, I guess. You know, you had a guy that was actively sabotaging his way out of the team. You got a bunch of draft picks out of it, which hopefully don't screw that up. You at least get Victor Oladipo. You can feasibly try and rebuild if things don't work out with these draft picks and with these and with the cap space that you now are not burdened with hard. I mean, yes, you have other contracts that you probably need to get rid of, but at, at some point, you just have to get rid of the guy because he's he was way too toxic. He complained about... He openly said his teammates sucked, and he complained about the environment and, to, and the culture over at Houston, which it was his own fault because he is the one that was centered around everything. So at some point, you just got to cut your loss and go to Houston for that. And now I don't have to despise Houston as much. I will still despise the estimation page, but at least the lesson of the story is focus on your own superstar before dragging others. Uh, <laughs> I uh I suppose I should get Give Houston credit. I don't think it was that good of a haul, all things considered. The the gamble they're making is that Brooklyn detonates and then all three of their dudes leave and then they're just as awful as they were for a long time. But And who knows how much truth there is to the, like, oh, well, Philly would have offered this or whatever. But if it was up to me, I probably would have. And I, I dislike Ben Simmons, and I don't think he's an actual basketball player at all. But I'd probably rather him and, like, a pick or two versus a bunch of draft picks and, like, paying a Victor Oladipo. So I... I don't know how much truth there is to that versus like Tillman Frito being like very uh, like personally vindictive against uh, Daryl Morey. So I, I don't know what all the dynamics are there. I I agree with Kyle that you have to move him on. I think trying to just let him sit or like try and outlast the season with James Harden being an open malcontent, uh, that's not feasible. But, I, you know, the, the haul for the type of talent that James Harden is and the contract that he's on. Uh, I would have thought they would have gotten more, but it, you know, if Brooklyn does detonate, then they're set. So it's just you know, it's a gamble on that. I guess is what it's going to come down to. Well, and I was wondering, were because Houston was trying to get Ben Simmons and Matthias Tybel, and I think some other like Houston was trying to drive the price up, which good on them for at least trying to do it. I think Philly just got to a point where they didn't want to do it. So I can't fault Houston if that was like you have to include this in order for us to trade you this player. While with Brooklyn, it was we'll just give you all these draft picks and 
I mean, Brooklyn's history is not great in that regard. So I, I don't know. Like, I get, yeah, it was not as good of a haul for the player that you're trading, but it doesn't seem like they weren't trying to at least get some value back. Yeah. I mean, apparently, the, you know, the rumors are that Philly didn't want to give up Maxi, And, you know, anytime you can not give up a player who was able to pour in 39 on a, on a night when your team was basically uh, just chopped liver and barely had any players on the court, you just can't do it, right? The Philly's just in love with Maxi. You can't give up on, the, on this guy. Yeah, Adam, what, what are the reports? So w- was there a hope among the faithful to get James Harden? And then as soon as it turns like, ah, I didn't want him anyhow. Was that the turn, how things went? Did everybody like, oh, I actually really do love Ben Simmons and don't s- openly loathe his existence on this team? I think the issue with, with the Philly folk this year is that the team is actually doing pretty well and they like seem to have a competent plan in place around Ben Simmons now where like Tobias Harris is playing pretty well and Seth Curry is making threes. So they like have a couple shooters around him now. So everyone has kind of grown content and is a little more excited with the team. So I think people were okay with it. I think they also, I mean, the thing is everything just flips on a dime here. I mean, if they trade for Harden, most people would be like, I mean, you had to do it. We absolutely, I wanted Harden the whole time, right? Like, I, I love this guy. He's going to fit right in. Him and Embiid are going to be great. Um, but I, th- I think for the most part, people are genuinely excited about the current construction of the Sixers. And at, they just hated last, they honestly, everyone hated last year's team so much. They hated Al Horford. They hated that Tobias Harris was getting paid so much money. They wanted them both shipped out of town. And so I just think the fact that they've had some early season success has, has has calmed some of the waters so far. So there wasn't as much like fervor over the the hardened trade or non-trade. Well and good. Brett Brown was just not a good coach and everyone knew it and yet he still came back and they were just like, we don't want this guy coaching anymore. Yeah, yeah, that too. So we'll we'll see. We'll get an early chance to to see what, what James Harden and the and the Nets have in store for the Bucks on Monday. So we're going to take a real quick break. On the other side of this, we'll do our miscellaneous topics, make our predictions for the week, and close out. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. And it is time for Rapid Fire Questions. Really, really quick one this week. This one might actually be um, Rapid Fire. So um, I will I will give you them. All right. I'm not sure if you've heard it yet, but um, Lil Wayne has created a new hype track for the Green Bay Packers. Green and yellow. Uh, are we in or out? Out. After his bullshit that he pulled during the election, out. 100% out. Uh, I'm also out, but uh, I haven't been a, a, quote, Lil Wheezy fan for a long time. I'm not sure if I could ever consider myself a Lil Wheezy fan, so I would say I'm also out. Is it just like a remix of his previous green and yellow? Is that all it is? Is he like just move the names around? He's like, oh, I'll use Devontae Adams' name instead of whoever. Is that the gist of it? Honestly, I haven't listened to it. Um, <laughs> okay, great. But I don't know, man. I, all I saw was how he spent like three days on it or something. And that's, he said that's six times as long as he normally spends on a song. Um, maybe he just like took him forever to remember the Packers' names. But he did swap out the names. I know that. I mean, that being said, I did love Green and Yellow back in the day during the yeah. first Super Bowl run. That was totally fine. I rem- I, I've not forgotten. I have not forgiven. <laughs> Yes, Kyle has the correct response. Okay. Um, if you had to pick a uh, Bucks color commentator 
for the rest of your life, would you rather it be Steve Novak or um, bring back uh, Sidney Moncrief? Oh, it'd be Sir Sid all day. Sidney Moncrief was like, he was a weirdo, but he was a lovable weirdo. And he would occasionally, like a dunk shot. Who can freaking dunk shot, dude? Come on. And Steve Novak, it, God bless him. He's trying, but it's it's a slog. It's tough. There's like no insight whatsoever. So I would do Sidney all day. Plus he's like a team legend and everything. So you got to go for Sidney. I was just going to say, I feel like Sidney's just a weird person, but it is who he is. While Steve Novak is just a tryhard. Yeah, I think that's right too. I miss I miss Sydney. I miss the he's like a cat. He's like a jungle cat with Jabari. God, that was good. Uh, all right, so you're both in on you, Kyle. Kyle, you would go with Moncrief too. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Next one. Do you have a favorite soup? I like a good French onion done well. I can't do it at home. I've tried. It's not, it's not easy to do correctly if you don't have the ingredients, but out at a restaurant, good French onion soup down with it. I would say a chicken with rice. I, it's a very bland answer, but I don't know. It's just a simple one. You can't really screw it up. Hmm. All right. I may have to try the chicken with rice. I haven't had that. I don't know. Ever. Maybe it sounds pretty good. All right. This is last one. Did you have a, a preferred study spot in college? Yeah, uh, I would just grind at my desk in my dorm room. You know, it's it's something about being in a five foot by five foot room really focuses the mind. So that was my <laughs> that was my preferred study spot. I'm not good with like even the background, slight background noise at the library. I usually just prefer to study in silence by myself. So it would be just like in a quiet room, usually like the dorm room or whatever freshman and sophomore year it was the library because it was easy and i was already on the lower side of campus but once i had my car i would go to like a coffee shop just put in my headphones have some coffee so i would say like there's a caribou there's a couple coffee places any coffee shop for me fair enough all right that's all i got for rapid fire thanks fellas next it's time to move on it's time for a a fountain pen ink review it's a fountain pen review to be honest i don't remember if i've talked about this pen i think i've hiked it a couple of times this week is the platinum prefonte uh this pen sucks it cost me maybe ten dollars the nib on it is just awful so i don't know if you'd be able to see so it's kind of a cool looking like plain nothing too crazy nib it's a medium what pisses me off about it is Japanese nibs are notorious for being a lot thinner than European style nibs. I don't know why. I think it's like based on like the characters and the Japanese alphabet versus like Latin alphabet. This thing is so damn thick and it bleeds everywhere. I mean, it is just, it angers me so deeply. Now, thank God I only paid $10 for it. So if you're looking for like a starter pen just to be like, oh, it's very light. It's like, like plastic celluloid. Like it's a fine looking pen. It's just... It's really hard to write with, and it, it angers me deeply. This is by far my least favorite pen. The second I inked it and used it, I was like, I hate this thing. It's so deep. This, I can't use it for anything. I can't write. Like It's too thick to like write nice. It it's not doesn't do enough variation for like calligraphy or like nice italic writing. So it's just it's a bum pen. So uh, down on the Platinum Prefontaine, though it does have a cool name, I guess. So if you're looking for a $10 pen, and people do buy these, to use the nib, people will grind the nibs at home, and it's very cheap to do that way. So if 
for whatever reason, some listener out there really wants to start grinding fountain, <laughs> fountain pen nibs is a good starting point, but otherwise pass on this. There are better, very cheap pens to go for. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard you be that harsh on a fountain pen. What's, what's, what does grinding a nib mean? So like, so say for example, this one's a medium nib. So it all comes down to how thick the end of the pen is. And that'll, that'll essentially correspond to how much ink goes down. So you can get a bold nib, which is a pretty wide one. And then you'll use an actual like grinding station to like either narrow it or there's like certain like angled grinds you could do so that it'll turn into like an italic nib or like a zoom nib. These are all different terms for like how much variation going down versus going across. So like going down, you get a lot of ink going like left to right horizontally, you won't get much. So it gives a little bit more character. Um, and there are people who they're called nib smiths who do this sort of like custom work. So if you want to get started on it, it's easy to get really cheap steel nibs like these and kind of, you know, it's no big deal if you do too much, do too little or whatever, it's good practice. So if you want to customize it essentially in the way that it writes, that's what grinding the nib does. That's cool. I had no idea. All right. So don't get the platinum, platinum prefonte. Don't get it. Don't get it, friends. All right. It's time to move on to predictions. This week, the Bucks are facing Brooklyn. This week, they're facing Brooklyn. January 18th at Brooklyn. And then back to back, January 21st, home versus the Lakers and home versus the Wizards. And then I'm just going to put the next Sunday's game against the Hawks on there. So I, I don't know how we're going to do the podcast recording, but we're going to lump those in. So Kyle, what is your prediction for the Bucks record this next week? Three and one. Let's get it. They're going to win against Brooklyn. It's going to be great with no Kyrie. They can focus solely on James Harden and Kevin Durant. It's going to be good. They'll lose to the Lakers on some. It, it'll just be a tough game, but they'll lose to the Lakers, beat the Wizards because the Wizards only have Bradley Beal and they can slow him down. He's going to score like 60 points, but they'll still lose like always. And the Hawks. Got to get revenge. Even if Bogdan's not playing, you got to get revenge. So Giannis is going to erupt for like 55 points in that game. I'm, I'm feeling confident this week. I would say three and one. I agree completely. And you know what? This three and one is perfect for the narrative around the Bucks because we'll beat if Kyrie doesn't play against the Nets, then everybody will be like, oh, the Nets are just figuring out they didn't have Kyrie. It, it doesn't mean anything. Then we'll lose to the Lakers and we'll be like, this just proves that the Lakers are by far the best team in the league. And then nobody will care about any wins against the Wizards and the, against the Hawks. So I agree with Kyle three and one, and I think it'll be beautiful. What our perception around the league at the start of the week will have been not changed at all by the end of the week, no matter how it goes. So as long as we win against Brooklyn, uh, I don't care too much about how the Lakers game goes, but that's my prediction. Fascinating. I'm going to go two and two. I think they drop that Lakers game. I feel weird about the Hawks game. I don't know why I want revenge, but I feel weird about it. So I'm, I'm going to go two and two. I just, I, I'm seeing three pointers, a lot of three pointers. I'm seeing them dropping all over the court. So I'm going to go two and two for the Bucks. A little more pessimistic. All right, fellas. I guess that's going to do it for this week. A couple of decent games. Don't have to talk about the Pistons for a while. Thank goodness. So thank you to everyone for listening. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our coverage. If you want to check in on the Eastern Conference, Mitchell Maurer, our, our co-managing editor has a great piece up on uh, relaunching the, the neighborhood watch recurring piece that'll be happening throughout this year. So that's up there. Check out uh, Kyle's panic at the four one forum piece that I think ran last week. Um, definitely want to check that out. That's a great one up there. 
uh, Monday, many, Monday morning media roundup with Riley. So there's lots of good stuff on brewhoop.com. Uh, share the podcast with your friends, follow us on Twitter. We will talk to you again soon. <laughs>